Our Old Testament reading is from the book of Exodus, chapter 9, verses 22 through 35. And here we are still reading about the plagues in Egypt when the Hebrew people are in slavery in Egypt. And God has told Moses he's going to get them out. But plague after plague, they're still in. And yet, if we know the story, he does get them out. Last week we read the introduction to this particular plague, and here uh, now we get to see how that goes. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we do thank you for all the ways that you have uh, shown yourself to us. God, we thank you for your word which you have given to us. God, we, we pray that you would help us in our reading this morning, that as we read, that you would give us ears to hear what you have said, that you have give us minds to think and to understand, and God, most of all, that you would give us hearts that are soft and ready to receive your word into our lives today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 9, verses 22 through 35. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that hail will fall all over Egypt on people and animals and on everything growing in the fields of Egypt. When Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both people and animals. It beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. The only place it did not hail was the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he said to them. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. Moses replied, When I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop, and there will be no more hail. So you may know that the Lord that the earth is the Lord's. But I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord God. The flax and barley were destroyed, since the barley had headed and the flax was in bloom. The wheat and spelt, however, were not destroyed, because they ripened later. Then Moses left Pharaoh and went out of the city. He spread out his hands toward the Lord. The thunder and hail stopped, and the rain no longer poured down on the land. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said through Moses. Turn it into our gospel reading from Mark Chapter 12, verses 38 through 44. As Jesus continues his teaching, as he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make, make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. 
Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning we are looking at the kingdom of God, and when we think about the kingdom of God, uh, what is it that first comes to your mind when you hear that? When you hear the phrase, the kingdom of God, what are you thinking of? Does it make you think of some like otherworldly, heavenly kind of thing? Yeah? Does it have anything to do with what we do here and now? Do you know that when Jesus first came teaching and preaching, that his message was, repent, why? For the kingdom of God is at hand. And then Jesus tells all kinds of parables about the kingdom of God, right? And so if you take a look at Matthew chapter 13, just as one example of this, but there are plenty of other places where this happens. He talks about the kingdom of God in lots of parables, which is probably important because when people back then heard the phrase, the kingdom of God, they probably had something different in mind than what Jesus was really talking about. And so we see him just continually saying, the kingdom of God is, well, it's like this, and it's, it's like this, and it's like this. And so he says things, um, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, or the, or the kingdom of heaven is... Uh, like a treasure hidden in a field, or the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down. And I skipped over some of the earlier ones. Uh, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And in all of these parables, Jesus is teaching about what the kingdom of God is like and how it may be very different than what people are expecting that it's going to be like. And so I would definitely recommend you read the parables that Jesus tells and really go over them and over them and think on them. And with that, I say we're talking about the kingdom because this is what we get in uh, Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 19, we have the blowing of the seventh trumpet, which... We've been going through this whole book of Revelation thus far, and we have, we have seen the opening of the seven seals. We're sealing the scroll, and we saw that as judgment continued to unfold on all of the wickedness, that you get to the sixth seal, and it seems like everything is right at the end. But then you have this pause before final, final judgment, And the question is asked, who is it that can stand? And it's those who are in Christ. 
Then we get to the trumpets, and it's like we go back and look at it again, but now from a different angle, and we see the same kind of judgments that are unfolding until we get to the sixth trumpet, and it's like, oh, my goodness, we're like right at the edge. Who's going to be able to stand? And then we get this pause, which we've been looking at the last couple weeks. It's those who are in Christ. And then we get the seventh trumpet, and the seventh trumpet is going to be, again, this final, final judgment, but looked at a little bit differently, maybe with a little more clarity and definition to it. And here's how it reads. It says, The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. All right. You may have picked up on it on that last line where it talks about being flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm, that this is language that we've seen before in the book of Revelation. This actually has shown up a couple times already. Once uh, in the throne room where we see God on the throne, and this is what's coming from the throne, but not all of this. Uh, There we see... uh, from the throne in Revelation 4, 5, from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Okay. And then after the seventh seal is broken, and it's opened, in Revelation 8, 5, it says, then the uh, angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, hold it on the earth, and there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now we've added an earthquake. And then when the seventh trumpet is uh, blown, then we have this verse here where it says, and there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. <laughs> and so it's as though every time we come back to this, we're just adding a bit more detail. It's almost like uh, we're getting a closer and closer look, like we've got a higher resolution picture every time we come and look at it. And we're like, oh, and now there's this too. And this is going to come back one more time as we get to uh, in chapter 16 with the seventh bowl and have the same kind of thing. One more thing is added in a lot more detail have to wait for that. But as we get into this, this is very much talking about the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and Messiah. This is depicting this final judgment. When, uh, when we pray in the Lord's prayer, as he taught us, we say our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name comes next thy kingdom come and then what's next i knew it (laughs) everybody always pauses there and it's okay to pause there it's fine i don't want to make you feel awkward now every time we pray this but it's thy kingdom come and then we always say thy will be done and then later we have this phrase of like on earth as is in heaven as though it's not connected to the phrase that just came before it but it's actually thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Like this is what we are praying, that uh, when God's kingdom comes, that what that means is that this is not some faraway, otherworldly kind of thing. This is the rule of God here on earth. And this part of the prayer, that, of the Lord's prayer, is really what we have seen in the book of Revelation thus far. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is really what we see in the early chapters of Revelation. And then, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is, uh, okay, so how does that happen? How does God bring his kingdom on earth? Where what he wants done is what is done. Where we go back to the beginning in Genesis and we see how everything is created good. And we have God creating a place for everything, putting everything in his place, stepping back and looking at the whole thing and going, that's really good. And then we turn the page and people turn away and the whole thing breaks down. And what we've been seeing for the whole rest of the story is how does that get fixed? And one of the things that has to happen in order for that to get fixed is what it says right here in verse 18, where it says, uh, the time has come for judging the dead, for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. That's part of what has to happen, isn't it? If you have people who are destroying God's good creation, and he's going to restore that creation, doesn't he have to get rid of the people who are causing the problem? I mean, if you have a vehicle that is not working and you identify the problem, you don't just leave the problem there and go, well, maybe it'll get better. (laughs) You get rid of the problem, right? And then, of course, the problem that we have is when we actually look in the mirror and recognize that we are the problem, right? That we are those who have caused breakdown in our own individual ways. That we have broken relationship with God and with each other and with the whole of creation. And so we look at this and we go, I don't know. If the day is coming where God is actually going to get rid of the, uh, the people who are causing the problems, and we're some of the ones causing the problems, doesn't that mean he's just going to have to get rid of everybody? On the one hand, yes. <laughs> Except there's something that happens in the middle of the Bible that I hope you're aware of. <laughs> and that is that in Jesus, we have someone who was not part of the problem, but who is himself the solution to the problem. And this is why we see in each of these pauses between the judgment that has come and the judgment that is coming, who is it that's going to be able to stand? It's those who are in Christ. Those who are actually trusting in him, depending on him, putting into practice the things that he has taught. This is what he says in the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where he talks about those who have, you know, like a wise man and a foolish man, one who builds his house on the rock, one who builds his house on the sand. And the difference, he says, is not what's going to come into their lives. Because they're both going to have the rains that come down, the streams that come up, and the winds that are going to blow and beat against the houses. That's going to be common to both of them. 
And he doesn't say it's the one who hears my words because that's what's both of them. So the difference is between those two, um, well, there are two differences. One is that one house stands, the other falls when all that stuff comes in. But the other difference, and what makes that difference, is that one is the one who hears his words and puts them into practice instead of the one who hears his words and does not put them into practice. And we talk about this. Uh, I've used this illustration a lot, so I can't remember if I've actually said it here or not. <laughs> but, but I was talking with the kids' class this summer on Wednesday night, and we were talking about uh, how if you were playing baseball and, um, and you get a pitch thrown to you and you hit the ball and everybody's like, hey, run to first base. And you just stand there. You start walking like, all right, here we go. Walking on over to first base and you get out. And so the coach pulls you aside and says, hey, man, um, next time you get a hit, you got to run, man. You got to run to first base. And you look at the coach and you go, okay, yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. And then next time you're up to bat, you get a hit again. Very good batter. And uh, you get a hit, and you start walking to first base. And they're like, what are you doing? Everybody's screaming at you. Go, run, run. But you don't, and you get out again. And the coach pulls you aside and is like, hey, <laughs> you've got to run to first base. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, got it, got it, got it. And so it goes. And you just keep repeating the same thing. You're going to get out every time. And it's not because uh, you're not playing the game. You're playing the game. It's not that you're not listening to the coach. You're hearing everything he says but it's that you're not putting it into practice. And until you actually put into practice what the coach is saying to do, the outcome stays the same. Uh, you get out every time. This is what Jesus is talking about. And this is what we're looking at when it comes to the kingdom of God, is people who are actually being led by the king. Because when the seventh angel sounded his trumpet... There were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. This is what's coming. This is not what we are going to somewhere else. This is what's coming. (laughs) Jesus says in his life, death, and resurrection, it has already begun in some way. And you can read the parables to see how that works out. But that one day his kingdom is coming, not in part, but in fullness. I mean, you know what's coming, right? I mean, it doesn't make any sense at all to build an ark for lots of animals and people in the middle of an area where there is no rain, there is no water, there is no flood. Unless you know a flood is coming. I said Noah flood. I'm sorry. Pun not intended. On the other hand, it doesn't make any sense at all to not build an ark if you know a flood is coming, right? If we know that this is what's coming, if we know that, uh, that the kingdom of God is coming Shouldn't we be those who are living in line with that kingdom now? If we know who the king is, shouldn't we be following him now? If we know 
that those who are not in him aren't going to make it? Shouldn't we be sharing the good news of Jesus now? In Daniel, we get two other visions. We're looking at visions in Revelation. There are some in the book of Daniel. And in chapter 2 and chapter 7, we get a very similar interpretation of two very different visions. In chapter 2, it's this statue. The king has this vision, this dream at night. Nebuchadnezzar wants everybody to be able to tell him what he dreamed. Tell you what you dreamed. And Daniel is uh, has this vision revealed to him by God, tells Nebuchadnezzar, here's what it is. You had this dream that there was this enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance, made of all these different things. But then there was this rock, not cut by human hands, that came and it crushes the statue right at the base. It collapses. And then this rock that has just destroyed the statue actually grows into a mountain that covers the whole earth. What a weird dream. And he says, and what it, here's what it means. That you're the head of this statue and that each of these different parts of the statue represents different political empires. And they're going to be dazzling. And people are going to look to them and they're going to be amazed. It's going to be, wow, look at this kingdom. Look at this empire. But as dazzling as that might be, as impressive a structure as that might be, it's going to come to an end. And there's going to be this, uh, this rock, this other kingdom that comes in, destroys all those, and replaces them as the kingdom that lasts forever. He actually says in verse 44, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to, other, to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. The kingdom of God is what will last. There are people who it's, it really seems like. There are people who it is their job and they are paid to day in and day out try to convince us that there are things that are more important than God and his kingdom. Whether that is money, sex, or power, or put it another way, possessions, pleasure, or power, political or otherwise. And day after day, we're bombarded with these kinds of messages of, no, 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 this is really what's important in life. This is what you really ought to be chasing after. This is what you ought to be going after. And part of my job is just to remind us as often as possible those messages aren't true. That God and his kingdom is more important than any of this other stuff. That we know that all the rest of it is going away. But this is what will last forever. This is where we ought to be spending our focus and our time. And this 
is uh, actually the good news. This is why when the seventh trumpet sounds, oh, I didn't tell you about Daniel 7. It's the same kind of thing, but with the individual leaders leading to Jesus. You should read it. It's really good. But when the seventh trumpet sounds, we have people who are worshiping and praising God because this has happened. Because the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. That what we see happening here is that going back to Genesis 1, where everything is put in its place and every, like there's a place for everything, everything's in its place. Everything is operating like it's supposed to operate. Everyone is in right relationship with God and with each other and with all of creation. And it's all working like it's supposed to. Like that's what happens when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness. Like this is what we ought to be looking forward to. That's what we ought to be praying for, says Jesus. When the disciples ask him, hey, how, what should we be praying for? Tell us how to pray. And he says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, let this be a place where what God wants done is done because that's the only hope that we have of things being like they ought to be. The response to this in verse 16, well, verse 16 and 17. This is the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. I mentioned earlier there's this change in terminology as it flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and then an earthquake, and then hailstorm. There's also a change in this line of a phrase we've seen several times already of the one who is and who was and who is to come. But here it doesn't say the one who is and who was and who is to come. It just says the one who is and who was. Why? It's because you have begun to reign. In other words, he has come again. So at this point in uh, John's vision, he is seeing what will happen when God's kingdom comes in its fullness. And this is what we do have to look forward to as those who are in Christ. And this is what we ought to be paying attention to and sharing with others that they too would be looking forward to God coming and establishing his kingdom forever, even here on earth. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. We thank you for your word which you have given to us, and God, we do pray that you would help us as we reflect on these things. God, help us to look to you in everything, to not just pray the Lord's Prayer in words when we gather together weekly, but God, help it to be the prayer of our lives daily. 
that we would genuinely seek to follow you in everything. God, that it would be the life of Christ in us that would be displaying your glory wherever we go. God, that we would truly be following you and not all the other voices of the world. God, help us to be those who are looking forward to when your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And so this thing we pray, as uh, Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.